This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash kendoui. Hey everybody and welcome to Views on View. My name is Chris Fritz from the Viewcore team. And today on our panel, we have Joe Eames, who's an educator extraordinaire of uh, all sorts of things technology. And he also organizes some conferences like Framework Summit that Divya and I were both recently at. It was really, really cool. Eric, who isn't here today, was also there. And so is Chuck, actually. Uh, it was, we, we, were, we were all together. We actually recorded an episode live there. And we'd love to talk about Framework Summit a little bit later. And you also organize ReactConf, which I just learned about as well, Joe. That's pretty cool. Yep. And that was a really long introduction. <laughs> yeah, it was. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Do you have anything to add? Did I miss anything? Uh, well, I also organized a little Angular conference as well, but... Uh, uh, just a tiny one? You know, yeah, a little <laughs> one. <laughs> and also on our panel is Divya Sasidharan, who is a Vue contributor and just like awesome speaker, conference organizer. She also helped out with uh, Framework Summit. Hello. Cool. And today, our very, very special guest is Eduardo San Morote. San Martin Morote. <laughs> San Martin Morote. <laughs> Almost there. Almost there. I, 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 I forget your, your really long Spanish names. Yeah. And actually, it's good that I get your full name. Sorry? Uh, Chris, do you speak Spanish? Puedo hablar un poquito de español. Hace mucho tiempo desde que podía practicar mi español. Pues I shouldn't keep speaking Spanish because most people probably do not. Yeah. You're 100% selling the accent, though. Sí. It could have been complete gibberish, and I would have been like, wow, Chris is 100% full. He must have grown up. That's pretty accurate. Yeah. Well, well, Eduardo knows better, fortunately, and he knows like, oh wow, that's definitely not Spanish. It's uh, yeah, it has some faults, but it was sounded like South <laughs> American Spanish. It was good. I mean, yeah, it was South good. American, no, especially yeah. for American people. But I know you you are you are quite different in that aspect, Trace. <laughs> you speak more. Yeah, I used to. Uh, my accent used to be more like uh, Spain Spanish, but I, I adjust a little bit. Anyway, though, this isn't about me and my Spanish. This is about Eduardo, and it's actually like really fitting that we used your full name because we're going to be diving into the man, Eduardo, where, where he comes from. Uh, you used to be a game developer, right? Yeah, mostly. Uh, I will call that an amateur, a hobby, indie, because I never did any actual job as a game developer. And you used to write a lot of C++ yeah, that's as true. a game developer? <laughs> yeah, that's wow. true, though. So, so you're coming from kind of a different background that a lot of web developers do. Like at, most web developers that I talk to, often, you know, JavaScript is the first language that they're learning, especially on the front end. Or if they're coming from the back end, you know, they maybe use like Ruby or C Sharp or Python or something, you know, where, you know, those are more, more popular like mm -hmm. server side languages. I don't know if, if C plus plus has like popular server side frameworks or anything oh god no please don't do web se web servers in c plus plus that would be bad. <laughs> there are things but it's completely awful it's it's uh optimized like oh you can handle one million requests per seconds but 
nobody gets one million requests per seconds except the three big companies out there. So, and they don't need that. There are many other ways to scale up, <laughs> and we all know that. With WebAssembly, it's all going to be C plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rust, C plus plus, C. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, like coming from C++, and for those who aren't familiar with the language, could you give like a short overview of differences from like JavaScript? Or some of your challenges when transferring from C++ to JavaScript? When I transferred yeah. from C Sharp to JavaScript, and I remember several things that just like blew my mind when I tried to uh, migrate my skill set over to JavaScript. So I'm interested to hear that. Oh, well, I have the, the the classic things like every, and I, it's funny because since I, I, I'm also an instructor, I, I, I often teach to people view and these people are very often coming from a, from a server background. So they don't have that much knowledge in JavaScript. And the, the thing to me, the thing that every single non-JavaScript developer hits is the variable scoping regarding functions that when you have a variable, it is attached to the closest uh, wrapping function. So when, and because JavaScript has a lot of callbacks and it's a never-driven language, um, you are declaring a variable inside of a loop or a if block, um, and people expect that variable to be the same, but it's actually declared outside of the for loop. So when the call, callback gets executed, what they have is always the same variable with always the same value, which was the last one that was kept. And these always break people's minds all the time. It's, I think this is the funniest one. And what else? So okay. variable scoping, which I mean, if people aren't familiar with, uh, I, we don't want to go into it in a lot of detail because it's probably hard to explain yeah. code examples. Uh, and we are a purely audio medium. There are other things. Well, definitely the, the prototyping thing, like in JavaScript has to be the only popular language or maybe the only language where you use prototypes. I think there are some other languages out there, but not as popular as JavaScript. And it's so different to classes and inheritance, inheritance that when you look at the syntax and how you create classes with JavaScript, well, now we have the class keyword, but three years ago, or I don't know, four years ago, you didn't have that at all. Yeah. And I mean, Plus didn't used to have classes either. Uh, well, I don't remember the first version, but C, C don't, doesn't have classes, that's for sure. But I think C++ always had classes from the beginning. Maybe wrong. But I, I, I might be wrong. But the reason I, for the invention of C++ classes? Gosh, was it classes? Or I might be thinking of something else, because I, I remember I, I used to write C++ too way back in the day. Oh, you can and, write without classes. <laughs> no, 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 I know you can. I mean, you can, I guess, write anything almost anything without classes. I mean, if you were writing Ruby without classes, that'd be really weird, I think. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I remember there were some features that were added to C++ later that were really nice that I never got to take advantage of because they didn't exist at the time. Uh, what was that? I, I don't remember now. So it's, it's making a what? really bad story, but what I thought it was, I thought classes was maybe one of those things, but I don't remember. It really was a long time ago. Okay, maybe automatic typing, the auto type. It, it, it's, it's not going to be a fruitful line of discussion because I, it really was a long time ago and I'd be guessing uh, if I... <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so, so one of the things that like, is different about C++ is like types are more important. Mm -hmm. Types, well, it's not that they are more important, it's that they are, they are necessary and everything is strongly typed. Yeah. So once you assign a, a value to a variable, 
the type is is always going to be the same. You cannot assign something else. Uh, casting yeah, something basic. Um, but, yeah, that means like something starts out as like an integer. You yeah. know, if you say like you know var num equals one, you can't say like num equals and then assign it a string or something like that. Mm. Like that's not possible. Definitely not. Uh, you get no pointers in in JavaScript. You only have references, and it's automatic. Pretty much like in Java, I think. Wait, pointers? What are pointers? Pointers. Is that, it's actually an, in, an integer as well that points to an address in memory. Uh, what? So you, have to do, you have to do memory management in C++? Yeah, you have, you to, have to, do. to do garbage collection? What? <laughs> garbage collection. <laughs> yeah, that's, the garbage collection is pretty cool when you, when you think about it. I mean, coming from... Yeah, so, so, so you're actually like in C++, when we say memory management, like you're pointing to specific places in memory and mm. you're, you're even keeping track of like, I mean, this is one of the reasons why the, the types are more important because like an integer has like so much space allocated for it, right? Mm, exactly. Yeah. And, and then you have to keep track of like, okay, so we have like, this is an integer. We, we only have like so much space for it. We have like this size box. And so only integers can fit in this box. Mm. But, but I think the most... I mean, for me, the most striking thing about JavaScript and well, web in general is that when I was building things in C++, uh, not only I have to I had to uh, compile a thing in different, like really boot up a different operating system to to build my my binaries and distribute them when I was creating games, uh, and then upload that file, and you have so many problems with linking. You have to get the libraries right and then make sure they execute correctly, and it's so easy to mess up. And then to distribute them, well, you have to upload every single file in some kind of cloud, or I, I remember I was using Dropbox at the time. And then you have the problems between versions, like uh, upgrading Mac uh, or Windows, and it breaks your, your binary. But with web and JavaScript, you just create something, and you put it on a, on a server and the user is going through the browser, which is the abstraction, and they don't even need to download anything, which is funny because when you, have, when you want to your users, when you want someone to download your game, they first have to go to the browser, <laughs> then download the binary, and then execute it. But with JavaScript, you just go to the browser and execute it directly. You skip uh, most of, of, the, of the things. And, and this is also why it's so much easier to share something and, and even it empowers you a lot because you you can share things very easily. And if you want your friends to test uh, something, you just have to give them a link, and and that's it. I'm just interested in your thoughts uh, as a C plus plus with your C plus plus background. Your thoughts about WebAssembly and the possibilities with this is that something that you particularly are interested in, or just like meh? You mean like WebAssembly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, definitely it's something huge. Uh, <laughs> but um, you, you, will, you will always have... A, the thing about video game development is that you are always trying... No, it's not always trying. You're, you're always uh, getting the most out of the hardware. You always do this. So computers keep getting faster and faster. People keep building... Uh, more complicated games with more effects and more, more GPU-consuming algorithms. So native video games will always be a step ahead of what WebAssembly can achieve because there is the browser ahead. So I don't think it will 
enable like gaming in the browser, never, but it does enable using the GPU to a, a whole different level that wasn't possible before, uh, to the point of being able to do face recognition, Im- I mean, image recognitions, and all the things that were completely impossible uh, by j- just using your CPU. And I think that's what people should be focusing more into, uh, because yeah, running a game in the, in the browser or running a uh, game engine in the browser is fun, and you can do pretty good things with it, but you will never get the same kind of games as in natives. And I think that's important for people when they try to think about, oh, should I use WebAssembly to build something? Well, they will never use directly WebAssembly, by the way, but. So what about the other possibilities? I mean, we're going off a little bit of a tangent here, but again, I'm interested based on your background. Have you heard of Blazor from Microsoft? No. So Blazor is basically a web framework, but you write it all in C-sharp because of WebAssembly, they can compile it down to runnable, you know, it's not, it's, it's not really JavaScript, right? It's, it's WebAssembly, but it's literally like a competitor to potentially view Angular, React, but you're getting it, you gotta write it in C-sharp. Oh, I think I saw things like that. And, um, and it sounds like a competitor to JavaScript too, right? If it's compiling down to WebAssembly? Yeah, I mean, in its, in its essence, yeah, yeah. It's it's, just, it's even difficult. It's really difficult to just grasp the concepts of where this could go. But I've, obviously, Blazor has a more focused purpose. But if you look at WebAssembly and what it can do, and you see something like Blazor, uh-huh. like, oh my gosh, I can write C Sharp in the browser. It reminds me of way yeah. back in the day when Silverlit was a thing. I was doing a little bit of uh, Ruby in the browser, which I thought was super awesome. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think normally... Or, so going back, maybe we should take a, a step back a little bit and talk about like what... What WebAssembly actually, like what's different about WebAssembly compared to, there are some like trans, like uh, transpile to JS languages that are like basically Ruby, for example, that compile to JavaScript. And then, you know, basically you never have to write the JavaScript. You just write something that, you know, basically is Ruby. And then, you know, you're, your browser will interpret the JavaScript. What's different about compiling to WebAssembly versus JavaScript? And anyone can take well, that. Isn't, isn't, that. That's just like WebAssembly runs on the GPU. Like it just automatically, doesn't it run on the GPU? Like, isn't that the whole point? Mm. That it runs on the graphics card? Was that my... I, I don't think it runs on the GPU. Someone else can feel free to correct me. But like it, like it has access to like run things on the GPU. It, like it works at a very low level. Yeah. So, so you can basically take any language and have the same kind of like low level access that languages normally do. Oh, to some I, see, of the, I see. Or at least right. as, as low level as like we can safely give people, yeah. um, you know, in the browser. You know, yeah, because there's still like security concerns. That's my bad because I, I talk about it like it it was a gate to the GPU, but it's not really a gate at all. It's it just they can do things using more more CPU resources, but you can still combine them with the GPU so you get the whole thing faster. But you already have access to a GPU without using WebAssembly. Yeah, what if I'm using like Canvas or WebGL or something? Like I'm writing JavaScript and I have access to the GPU. Like all, all that stuff is running on the GPU. What's what's different about WebAssembly? It's because the logic of your application will be running in JavaScript and using the classic browser uh, engine. But if you 
write it to something that compiles down to WebAssembly, then it will be using a different like, layer. I don't know how to, the words, exact words to, to explain, but basically the, the logic of your game will be faster um, than if it was written in JavaScript. So for things like, you know, memory management, either like video memory or like re regular memory, you know, you have much more fine-grained control. Is, is it that kind of thing? And, and you can control like the, the, the speed of operations and like when, like how resources are allocated? You should be able to, although I don't think it's, it's the main point, but you, you because if you're, if you're using a language like C or C++ and you compile it down to WebAssembly, well, you, you are manipulating the memory pretty much. Um, but the point is really having something close to WebAssembly and, and making it go fast in the CPU. <laughs> mm -hmm. And here's something I actually don't know. Uh, so this isn't even a rhetorical question. Like I, I know that JavaScript like is an interpreted language. So like it, it basically like reads reads a file from top to bottom and can like execute it as it goes. Like does it, is, is this that, the same? Kind I don't of think thing that's true of JavaScript, right? Is that true of JavaScript that it could be read from top to bottom? I thought that was part of the problem of uh, the performance of JavaScript, where HTML could be parsed top to bottom. But JavaScript, you actually need to see the entire thing. So you have to wait for the whole JavaScript file to download before the browser can begin the parsing of JavaScript. Isn't that? Somebody oh, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not... No, you're right. Because like variables and stuff are hoisted to the top. So if there's a variable declaration like yeah. right at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so I think JavaScript, you do have to see the whole thing. Although you still call it interpreted, I believe, because you basically interpret it at sort of runtime, but it's mm -hmm. different than the type of interpreted languages where they're interpreted line by line. That's, yeah. I don't know that that's, uh, you know, somebody is, is probably like slapping their forehead right now, like, oh my gosh, these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think that's roughly, roughly accurate. Well, we are way off on a tangent from where yeah, we probably yeah. were. When do you develop us try to <laughs> no, I, I, I guess I'm, so, but it, would it be accurate? You know, I, obviously none of us are like completely experts on everything in the world. At least I'm not. I don't want to speak for everyone else. You know, so we don't know everything about WebAssembly. We don't know everything about JavaScript. And we certainly don't remember everything that we've learned, obviously. But it, it sounds like WebAssembly, something we can say is that it does work on a lower level than JavaScript. So it's possible to achieve optimizations that wouldn't be possible with JavaScript. Is, is that true? It's true. Yeah, I think, cool. I think you could say that WebAssembly is generally faster than JavaScript for many reasons. But there's actually an article that, that Lynn Clark wrote. She works for Mozilla and she does these code cartoons where she explains how WebAssembly works. And I think that is a great plug because yeah, we drop the she, does a very, she does a very good job of explaining it way better yeah, for, than could probably. And she probably knows more about WebAssembly than all of us combined by many orders of magnitude. So, <laughs> yeah, so that is yeah, it. so we should probably not try to, to just recommend people read that and not try to dive too much deeper into it. We need to get, definitely get a link to that in our show notes. Yes, yeah. I can do. But so you've been, Eduardo, to get a little bit more back on the original topic, you got into JavaScript from web development. Um, what exactly got you started down that path? Like, why did you decide, like, ah, I don't know about game development. Maybe I'll do web development. Oh, that's interesting because um, 
when I first started coding, it was around, uh, I think, 13 of when I was 13 or 15. And by the age of 15, I was programming without even knowing that I learned to program. But I was only doing uh, game things. And I kept doing that until I was um, 20, I think, 21, probably. <clears throat> and when I was in, in my engineering school, um, probably the... So in France, engineering school have three years because you have to do two years before. So it's like the fourth years of studies. I was looking at the JavaScript. I, I did my like a, a job and I did jQuery, like a classic jQuery things that some, most of people have done at least once in their life where everything is so uh, <laughs> tangled <laughs> and it's so yeah. hard to add new features. And, and it was my little baby, like my, my little monstrosity baby, but... I also learned that, that time all the problems that we had. And starting from there, so it was a, just a job. Uh, I, I looked at the at Node.js and how things were, were getting cleaner. Like we have things like Require.js where you can have uh, files split and, and then you could run a binary to, to have everything bundled. And I started doing some projects with it uh, in the in the engineering school because we had um, a lot of um, projects where you could do um, very free stuff. But I wasn't, I was still doing some C++ as well with video game development But at the time. And the thing that made me change is well, there was a lot of, of work, <laughs> actually. So when you look at all the companies that came to the engineering school, there were so many that were doing web development. And I was like, well, there is really something here. Uh, and the language is getting cleaner uh, you can do, I mean, not the language, the eco, it was the ecosystem. And the ecosystem is not as clean, as, like, not by a, a long shot, as clean as it can get today. It's still as messy as it, as it was before. And it, it, ever, it will always be as messy because you can do anything you want. But by seeing that things were evolving, that it will, they, will, they were improving, and that there was so much work around it, and that... It, it was something worth diving, in, diving into. And I knew that game development industry is quite toxic. Uh, so I really didn't want to work in any game development company. Like, even, and I think that, that only got worse with time <laughs> when I read all these articles. Uh, do, do you mean toxic, like uh, people are working really long hours or not treating employees correctly or? Both. <laughs> okay. Both things. Before it was only the, I mean, before I was more thinking about the long hours, I knew people were working way too much uh, to get things uh, done and not getting the recognition. And now I know that is also a very toxic, um, like socially speaking, I don't know if that's the word, but uh, interpersonal, personal, like they don't treat people well. Yeah, you could describe that as toxic. Yeah. It's more like, um, it's not a, well, it's not, it's definitely not a very diverse surrounding. Yeah, it's not a diverse field or field, environment. Yeah, yeah, environment, yes. And we, with time, I realized that diversity is very important to get things forward. So the more I hear about things or read about things, like, oh my God, what is this field? I mean, I hope it, I mean, it's changing. With time, it will change. I'm sure that it will happen, but. So you, you, didn't, you didn't want to just work with like, Type A personality, white guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, understandable. So something else that you've been playing more with lately that sounds like it's been 
probably probably a little bit more familiar to your C++ days is TypeScript. In what ways is TypeScript like similar to C++ or, or more similar than JavaScript? So people would definitely say types because that's a, the main point of TypeScript. But what really got me into it is the, the generic things, uh, generic typings have been able to define a generic type in a class or a function and then make so different for those, versions. Yep. For those who don't know though, like what's a generic? How that, can you explain that? Uh, in yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't sound like it's like generic. <laughs> yeah. It's when you create a, ta- a type that is based or depends on other types. And basically you have a generic version of, of a type that you can customize using subtypes. So you can generate as many other types. But the thing is that the type can, can not only be a type, like an integer, an, uh, well, a number or a, an array, but it can also be a, a specific version, like a specific kind of object or a value. And this was called metaprogramming in C++. You could have things at compile time, thanks to mm-hmm. these. And I don't know if you can have real metaprogramming with TypeScript, but you get some of some of the things actually. So I think there's a good uh, a good uh, canonical example of generic types is creating a list uh, class, right? So let's say that you've got a list of things, and the list of things that you've got is going to be a list of integers, right? So you could create a list that is constrained such that it only works with integers, but then if you want to d- if you want to also have a list of strings or to take it a step higher, let's say that you have a list of users, right? But you also want to have a list of, and, and you want that list to be constrained so that it only represents user. But then over somewhere else, you want to have a similar class that's a list of, um, I don't know, orders, right? And for your business, these two things have similar operations to do with list sorting and filtering and that sort of stuff. Maybe things that the map doesn't support and you just can't get out of Lodash or you don't want to use Lodash or whatever. So you're going to create this with a class. So without generics, you'd have to create two entirely separate objects to be one to be the user cl- uh, list and one to be the orders list. Now, can, with, with JavaScript, we sort of default to just using an array for this, but an array can have anything inside of it. And you want to say, no, 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 I want an add operation and a remove operation, right? So that I can know the only users are inside of this list, right? Well, with generics, you can actually have the same code base for both the orders list and the users list. And then just at execution time, you say, all right, I'm creating a new list, but this is a list of users. Then over here, I'm creating a new list, but this is a list of orders. So that's like a good example of how generic, what generics are and how they work. And there's tons of other ways to use them, but that's probably the, one of the most common examples I've seen for a generic. Yeah, that is a nice example. Well, I hope it's somewhat digestible. I actually encountered generics. I was interested in this with Eduardo. I encountered generics when I did C Sharp before I got into JavaScript. And then, you know, there was nothing like that until TypeScript came around. Uh, so I'm curious, did you, had you encountered generics? I think generics are, exist in C++, right? Yeah, yeah. You have uh, the generics in C++ as well. So you could um, do it by yourself. You could have the metaprogramming things, like having a... So you could have a Fibonacci... Uh, at compile time, for example. Now, what is a utility? Well, not sure about it, but still funny to do. It's these kind of nerdy things you do when you're in engineering school. And, right. um, and of course, you have the, yes, the, all the standard library is mostly generics. The list, the sets, the maps are generics all the way. Gotcha. 
I'm gonna, I want to back up just a little bit because I was just thinking about something. One of the places that I see generics being used a lot is in RxJS. So if you happen to have played around with RxJS, you know, it's observables. This is another great example. You can create an observable and you could specifically say, hey, this observable is an observable of users, right? So only users can go in and only users can come out of this observable. And that's really nice sometimes, you know, in your operations to just get that type safety, especially if you're like making an HTTP request, you know, that this endpoint only returns users. You can specify that and say, hey, this thing only comes, only returns a user, this observable. Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Yeah. And, and stepping back a little bit, like, what is, what is the point of having those types? Like, what does it actually help you do? So I think there are many points of view in this aspect. And my favorite one is actually not the typing itself, but the author completion you get in VS Code. Um, mm. And the reason I use, so I, I, when I build my libraries, uh, I often build them in JavaScript and then add the typing on top of it. Because for the user, when they use VS Code and they are just trying to run the library and they have the author completion for the, the options or the parameters, it's just so much better. Uh, they don't have to check the documentation to check what the parameter is. They can have the documentation right into the, right into the editor with the type. And you don't have type, you don't make typos about the options because you have the author completion. Uh, a good example of this is Axios. Uh, when you create an instance of Axios, so Axios is a library to do HTTP requests um, that is very popular right now in the JavaScript ecosystem. And if you create an instance of Axios where you have um, some defined parameters, one of them is the base URL. And a very common mistake is to write the base URL in camel case uh, with the a, S, E in lowercase, then the U uppercase, and then the rest in lowercase. But it's actually URL, the whole word in uppercase. And if you don't write it correctly, well, the option is just ignore because this is just how JavaScript works, right? So having the other completions uh, prevents user from making that mistake. And I think that this is great because the web is, um, has to be the most diverse in my opinion, is really by far the most diverse um, language that you have. And you have people coming from very different backgrounds uh, with very different levels of knowledge uh, in computer science and in JavaScript as well. So you have a lot of beginners in, in JavaScript as well. And this makes the experience for beginners better, and it, I mean, easier. And for people who are experienced, they make also their experience better because they can go faster with the completion, which is something that I was missing so much when I started doing JavaScript and I was coming from C++. Oh my God. I know I remember that, that all the methods of the completions and well, were gone. So it sounds like those, those types are useful for, you know, auto completion. So I can see that the kinds of options that are available or like what arguments are, are available and like what the types of those arguments should be. Hmm. Um, but you said it, in VS Code, I can get that in JavaScript. So as long as someone defines the types for their library, 
What's the extra advantage of using TypeScript on top of that? Oh, I'm actually, yeah, the thing is you don't need TypeScript. That's, that's the good part. You, can, you need to define the types in TypeScript, but even if someone is using your library and they don't use TypeScript, they use JavaScript, they still get the autocompletion. And that's the amazing part. But let's say, let's say like I ignore the autocompletion, like I just don't see it. Uh-huh. Uh, and I type, you know, I type really quickly, like base URL with camel case. Like, will TypeScript give me any kind of additional warning to let me know? Like, by the way, you like, you passed in an option that actually doesn't exist. Oh yeah, that's true. Uh, actually, if you do with JavaScript, you probably don't have an error, but if you have TypeScript of, or if you enable TypeScript checks in JavaScript, which is also possible, <clears throat> I know TypeScript will tell you that there is a problem and I think and I'm pretty sure that in most of cases, it will actually try to guess the right option. Like tell you, did you mean base URL with uppercase? And I think this has gotten better and better with every single release of TypeScript since probably two something. So actually, like at compile time, even before you like are testing it in the browser, yeah, you can yeah. find out that you made a typo. Yeah, that's so nice. Uh, that's, yeah, that's really cool. And, and you mentioned briefly, like, oh, you can also enable some of these checks in JavaScript. Mm. And I think a lot of people don't know about this. So how, how do you do that? Like, let's say you have a project and you have an editor like VS Code that can, like, give you some of these checks. Oh. Yeah, or like, yeah, it can tell you when you've done something wrong, not just auto-completion, but it can actually, like, tell you when there's a potential error inside so, yeah. your editor. How do, you, how do you enable that for a project? So for a project, you have, uh, you have to create a tsconfig file and you have an option, check JS files that you set to true and that's it. If you want, don't want to, to, to apply to every single file, you can apply some filters in that config, but you can also individually add at the top of the file a comment with uh, the at symbol and then ts-check. And you have also completion, by the way, for that in VS Code. So you will see very quickly. And then the, the VS Code will use um, TypeScript to check the file. If you're not using TypeScript, will the, the browser still look at the tsconfig file? Not the browser. The, the or, browser. Or sorry, the editors. Yeah, sorry. If you're not using TypeScript, yes, uh, I think it does. I'm pretty sure it does. I, I'm not exactly sure, but I think if you define like a jsconfig file, you can also define options like check JS true. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, it does. It does work. It does work because I have done it. Okay. But what I'm not sure is, is, the fa- is if you need to install TypeScript as a dependency in your project. I think you don't. Not for VS Code. No, no, of course, VS Code. I'm speaking about VS Code, yeah. Cool. So we'll, we'll link to like tsconfig and jsconfig uh, in, the, in the show notes so people can learn more about that. Those are some, some cool files that like, often can improve your developer experience. Yeah, and for people who are listening who haven't really given given TypeScript uh, much of a try, I highly recommend it. Uh, granted, I came, I, I started out in some non-typed languages or weakly typed languages, went into some pretty strongly typed languages, then JavaScript, which was, again, very weakly typed. And then I kind of coming back to TypeScript. So for me, it was somewhat familiar. Uh, for people that are not familiar with it, it's sometimes a little bit of a, uh, some, somewhat seems like a hassle, but I think in general, most people that try TypeScript end up uh, over the long run finding value out of it, although that's certainly not a universal impression or result. So for people who 
try TypeScript and choose not to use it, you know, either universally or just for a project? Like, what are some of the downsides? What are some of the reasons someone might choose not to use TypeScript? You know, there's definitely some subjective reasons going on in there. I think that one of the reasons why people don't is because, and I had this experience when I switched from C Sharp to JavaScript, when at that time there was nothing, there was, I, this was even before, uh, is it Espresso? Yeah. Espresso, the compiled the JavaScript, the first, the, basically the first compiled the JavaScript language. Um, you guys are right. You guys recognize that, right? Like I'm not, it's, that's the name of it, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Before CoffeeScript. Yeah. No, it's it, that's what I meant. I meant CoffeeScript. I, my mind just totally blanked out. I meant CoffeeScript. I, I thought there was another one before CoffeeScript, though, that was like... I was know, thinking maybe. of CoffeeScript, but maybe there was one. Anyway, yeah. even before this, right? No types. And for me, it was like, I came from C Sharp, which is very strictly typed. And all of a sudden, I'm in JavaScript land. And it was like, I, I talked to somebody who was very critical of JavaScript in general. And they're like, this just sounds horrible. C Sharp is so much you know, nicer and cleaner. And I said, you know, it's a little bit like comparing driving around in a pickup truck versus driving on a motorcycle, right? Like the first thing people will complain is there's no air conditioner, but that, that doesn't even make sense on a motorcycle, right? You're, you're complaining about things that just don't even make sense. But when you're on your motorcycle with your eyes closed and your arms back driving through a field of flowers, it seems pretty freaking awesome, right? Of course, eventually you got to open up your eyes and sound like a death trap. <laughs> I'm talking about JavaScript, right? JavaScript. Oh, that's JavaScript. Oh, JavaScript is riding on a motorcycle. Okay, got it. Okay. Well, it's just like, it was just so beautiful and simple, right? And I'm pers- I'm somebody who I, I used to own a motorcycle and used it to commute to work a lot and like riding motorcycles. So just the experience of riding on a motorcycle was beautiful and fun, but... Okay, but, but stay out of those fields of flowers, Joe. Like, we care about you. We want you to live. It was really great. It might feel great, but it's not safe. You're going to hit a rock and that's going to be it. Exactly. But, um, you know, as you start building uh, really big projects and stuff, the types start to pay off. On small stuff, a lot of times there's a very fairly small payoff. It's usually around the code completion, right? So if I'm working with some third-party library that has a really good uh, TypeScript interface to find for it, you're going to get a lot of benefit right off the bat because you don't have to look up stuff so much in the documentation. Uh, but on the bigger projects, that's when the payoffs of actually having types defined really start to, to come out. So I think one of the reasons why people, in my opinion, people don't is just because they just love the freedom of JavaScript. And it's very much, it's, it seems almost antithetical to that. And so it's just almost a taste preference. It's like, I'd rather, you know, the the costs that I deal with are fairly uh, they come small and in small chunks and they're not directly correlated to, oh, I'm missing, you know, I, won't, I don't see this problem and think this would be solved with types, even though it, that problem might be solved with types. There's not a direct translation. And so uh, people just enjoy how JavaScript feels without the types. And I think that's why a lot of people turn away from TypeScript when they try it out. And I'm not yeah, necessarily, I'm kind of implying it's better, but I'm not trying to say it is, it's one's necessarily distinctly better than the other. I totally respect people who aren't a big fan of TypeScript. I just happen to be. Yeah. And if most of your bugs aren't caused by, you know, things that would be caught by, by types, uh, then, you know, if you're, if you're just taking like a, a little, if you're dipping your toes in right. and getting started, you know, it is more work that you're doing. Because you have to define like what this type is. And in a lot of cases, learn how to define like more advanced kinds of types. And in some cases, not do things like not use patterns that you might be used to 
and have found very useful in the past because they just don't work well with the type system. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think it's also one of those things that's like the classic problem, the to-do MVC problem, right? Something that looks and see and shows super well on to-do MVC does not necessarily mean it's a good idea, right? On a big project, things are entirely different. And, and until you try something on a big project and really give it a good try, you really don't know if that's going to pay off or if it's going to not. So the first time, sometimes you dip your toe into the waters and you're like, ah, this is definitely more overhead than I need. That's, that's not a fair assessment because you just haven't tried it on a bigger thing, right? So the things that uh, work well in the small case and work well in the big case are really nice. And those are the ones that seem to gain a lot of popularity, right? I, I would say AngularJS is a good example of that. When it first came out, the compared to the alternatives, it was like so magic and there was just immediate payoff right from the beginning. I personally think that's one of the reasons why Vue is also gaining a lot of popularity is because it shows really well in the small case. And then people are seem to be building big stuff with it and finding out that this turns out to continue to hold true in the big case, right? As I build bigger, bigger projects, it's still uh, very valuable and I'm not encountering things that I, problems that I didn't encounter with other uh, options. I don't think I've met anyone coming from like C++ or C Sharp particularly, who's dived into TypeScript and found it not to be worth it. Yeah. You know, I think especially for people who are used to like structuring their programs in a way that works well with types already, like there's, I, I don't know if there's any disadvantage uh, that, that I've seen at least. Eduardo, have you seen some? The thing is, um, although I come from a typed system and I, I like TypeScript, I don't like writing applications in TypeScript. <laughs> I really enjoy writing my libraries in, maybe not even in TypeScript, but sometimes yes, and other times with the typings. But I, I think that the flexibility you have in, in JavaScript is something that helps a lot. And that when you, so for example, when I build a, a view application, I don't like my components to be typed. I, I, I think I lose more time than bugs I fix. But I do like having- Prop types? <laughs> Yes, I use props. No, I do only arrays of props. Um, no, I use uh, prop types. But I don't like having the typings on my component because uh, most of the time I can write the code um, without having to worry about, I mean, all the time I can write the code without having to worry about it. And the places where I need to worry about it is the layer that is linked to my business logic. So mostly the things that are going into Fuchs or other functions that I use to manipulate my data. And these things I do like to type and I would actually wouldn't mind if I wrote the whole thing in TypeScript, but the components, oh God, I, I it's, it's so much, so much more work. Uh, the syntax, if you use the decorators is so different that I think you lose the, the, you lose a lot because when you write TypeScript, you can even Limit yourself a bit with the features you write, so it's still very easy for the newcomers. But the components in Vue, at least in TypeScript, are so different if you use the decorators. And it feels like if you don't use decorators, you miss a lot of things. At least that's what I see from issues and questions often. So you say it feels different. Is it different bad or is it just different? It's bad, <laughs> I would say. What do you like about it? It doesn't feel like JavaScript sometimes, like the decorator oh, come stuff. On. That, that sounds like, that just sounds like, like, like React. Like JavaScript sounds like it's unfamiliar. <laughs> that's like you know, the it's challenging a little bit on that. Like, what, it, like, 
what what it actually hurts your development is that you get typing errors and you're forced to fix them um and yeah but if if you get typing errors doesn't that mean there's a problem no not necessarily that's the thing right that sometimes is you that that you're not being strict enough but because you know that the for example a, va a value cannot be null in some case or i'm giving a very simple example very classic example you know that a value cannot be null in your case but theoretically it could be null for example and to get around that it sometimes uh it means a lot of work and and it's not worth for the because you're not fixing any bug you know that the condition is mm. is worth now maybe it's not the same for everybody But I, I feel that when I write my components, I don't write that much logic. I write a lot of front-end logic, and it's not. It's much harder to to have a bug unless you you always do my object dot my thing my other thing. And yes, if you don't check if the object is a no stuff like that. But you have a as a JavaScript developer, you have these reflexes, right? You 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 need to check the objects first and and do things. So it sounds like with applications, you know, it's something that's different from libraries is that uh, you're doing a lot more like prototyping and you're also dealing with like constantly changing requirements and, you know, making, uh, making the types really strict and specific can sometimes hurt you and lead you to be doing like uh, bigger refactors than you otherwise would be. That's a much better explanation. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Is that, is that a problem of TypeScript specifically? Or is that something that they have in C Sharp that's pretty cool? Are tools like ReSharper, which can, is like a really, really nice like refactoring tool. And I don't think we have anything like that for TypeScript yet. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. That's mostly true. I mean, type, VS Code has a few refactoring capabilities in it, but yeah, it's not like near, ReSharper. Like, no, not at all. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, types in some cases, uh, you know, can make some refactors a lot easier, you know, but right now, yeah, I'd say overall with the, the level of tooling that we have today, a lot of refactors, especially in applications, are going to take longer with TypeScript. Hmm. You know, at, at least if your, your application, like we're assuming your application is like organized well in both cases. Right. Yeah. So, but in libraries, you're not doing, you're not dealing with as many like constantly changing requirements over time, right? Uh, you know, there's like a specific thing that that library is supposed to do, and that thing's not going to change. Right. Yeah. Okay. We are starting to run out of time, unfortunately. So I just want to say one more thing about TypeScript, real quick. <laughs> Something else that I found is that some people. Like if, if, if a team is not coming from like a C sharp or, you know, a C plus plus background or that they're not used to structuring applications this way, I have found that people are spending a lot of time, you know, making sure that the typing is like working really well and fixing type errors rather than like writing like unit tests and things like that. You know, there's a, there's an opportunity cost to anything that we spend time on. And most of the bugs in applications, and in my experience, you know, don't have anything to do with types. You know, and so that that can be something to think about. Uh, and but I I totally recommend like anyone, just as Joe said, like definitely check out TypeScript. 
it might be for you. <laughs> and depending on the kind of application that you're writing, like if you're not a startup and the, the requirements are a lot clearer, the advantages of TypeScript quickly stack up. And the tooling is just going to keep getting better and better. And, and with team size, for sure, as well. As the team size grows, the advantages of TypeScript also stack up. Yeah. Okay. And then, Eduardo, before we move on to picks, is there anything you'd like to plug? And how can people reach you? So I'm giving a workshop in Vue Toronto, and it's an advanced workshop in Vue.js about how to build more advanced components with scope slots and how to build components that... Um, that can hold logic, but not hold the display version. So it's, a very, it's going to be a very interesting workshop if anybody is, is coming to Toronto in November. Nice. And Toronto is a beautiful city. You should definitely sign up. <laughs> Where can people find you? Like on Twitter, oh. GitHub, stuff like that? Yeah, Twitter is usually the thing I use the most. Uh, it's POSVA. My handle is P-O-S-V-A. It's very short. I, I hang out sometimes in the Discord server, but... Lately, I've been quite absent. Um, usually, I spend some time in, in it and I answer things. And yeah. of course, GitHub, <laughs> I'm very often in GitHub closing issues. I'm trying yeah. to do some triaging and helping with the, the ecosystem, make sure that if we have some, some bugs and people report bugs, that, that they are marked as bug as such. Yeah. And for those not familiar with the Discord server, that's at chat.vuejs.org. Thanks. <laughs> Anyone can join. Cool. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to start with maybe Joe. What are your picks today? Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android. And all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. So I'm just going to go with a, a single pick since last week we finished up the Framework Summit and picked that. I was really, really happy with the conference overall. I was really well pleased with how everything went and the content that was produced. So Look for the uh, YouTube videos, uh, two of which are going to be by our very own Christopher, one of which is by our very own Divya, uh, the talks that they gave at the Framework Summit. Um, look for those and check them out and uh, sign up or follow our social media accounts to be notified for next year if, uh, to attend the conference. We kind of expect to sell out next year based on this year's performance. Excellent. I, and I just want to say... There is no other conference that I've been to in the world that like has this that offers this kind of overview of like the different frameworks, but still has like a cozy feel. Like it's it's not one of these conferences where it's just like, oh, this is just like all of JavaScript and there's like five thousand people. 
you know, you actually get right. to like meet people who are parts of these ecosystems and you get to like have conversations with like, you know, like people at like, you know, working on Vue, working on Angular, working on React, like at the same table and, you know, just talk about things that affect all of us, uh, you know, as, as frameworks and, you know, talk about, you know, different things that we're learning from each other. Like there's no other opportunity like that other than Framework Summit that I've ever seen. It's very unique. Okay. Divya, what are your picks? Okay, I have two picks. One I already mentioned, which is Lynn Clark's cartoon, Code Cartoons. She did one specifically. We talked about WebAssembly, but she's done multiple on like various concepts, which I think like are very technical and in-depth um, and super well explained. Uh, and my other pick is an article that I read on the New York Times called In Praise of Mediocrity. <laughs> and it talks about how um, they, like how everyone is kind of obsessed with the pursuit of excellence, that the concept of a hobby is no longer like fun because everyone is like, this is my hobby and then you go hard and you try to be an expert at that thing when hobbies are supposed to be leisurely and things that give you joy. And so I thought that was a really interesting point because I, I find my hobbies tend to be really, get really competitive very quickly because I'm like, I want to gain mastery and then it's no longer a hobby. So those are my picks. Eduardo, what, do you have any picks for us today? The thing I'm most more excited about right now is that I'm going to do remote. So I'm, going, I'm starting to think about it. Not starting to think about it. I've been thinking about it for a long time, but uh, I'm going remote for next year and I will be traveling around by around i mean south america mostly but um i will be doing um remote work um mostly and i and this is exciting for me because i have never done like something like that going by yourself uh, in a different continent um and making sure that you can work and live and i'm that's my peak i would say but that will be my peak for the next <laughs> the next five six months <laughs> Does that count as a peak? Yeah, definitely. Okay. A peak can be anything. Okay. My picks for today, and I have two of them. One of them is more abstract, and it is reading nooks. Uh, I highly recommend having like a little reading nook in your house, uh, someplace where, especially if you live in like a colder climate like I do, somewhere you can just like cuddle up with a blanket and you never do work in that area. This is very important, especially if you like are a consultant or you work from home like me. Like, never do work in that place. It's just for, like, hanging out with a good fiction book, like something that has nothing to do with work. And it's, it's a good way to take a break and just uh, hang out. And you can also use it for, like, Netflix, too, if you want. Uh, you know, just, like, a nice place where you can retreat to when you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed. And my second pick is a community Vue CLI plugin called Vue CLI Plugin Electron Builder, uh, which is is really cool and uh, actively developed. And I'm using it on, on one project right now. It actually made a, a refactor to UCLI so much easier. Uh, it, yeah, I, I can't recommend it enough. Definitely check it out. It's really cool. And that is it for us today on Views on View. Looking forward to seeing everyone next week, or at least uh, not exactly seeing you. I, I think I usually say seeing you, but I never actually see the people who listen. I'm, I'm looking for a figurative sense, not a literal. Yeah, sense. I, I, I'm looking forward to the spiritual bond that we share every week. <laughs> and and until then, enjoy the view. 
Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. <laughs> 